Hey y'all, welcome to the Functional Physio Podcast, where we dive deep into fitness, movement, and the complex layers of your health, from micro to the macro. Let's jump on in. Hey y'all, it's JJ with the Functional Physio Podcast. Welcome, and today I'm super excited to have on Kevin Perone of Kinetic Potential, who's a local body guru, mastermind, and runs a studio right across the street from us. So if you come see us, Kevin's actually pretty close by. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks, JJ. Good to see you. Good to see you virtually. All righty. And so I just sort of want to, I always like to start shows. Did your audio just go? No, I can still hear you. Okay, cool. Technical difficulties, everyone. All righty. I always like to start podcast episodes off a little bit, sort of with the bigger picture so that we can sort of understand how we got to where we are today. And so I'm curious about like, what was your understanding of, of bodies and movement when you were a kid? So kind of a, a roundabout in some ways. Like I actually, um, my mom's a nurse, her mom's a nurse, my aunt's a physical therapist. And so I was kind of around healthcare body work a lot. And yeah. I mean, we're talking with my aunts about gait and stuff when I was like nine or 10, like watching people Super shifting or doing this or that. Um, but for the most part, I was just kind of a, a pretty big couch potato from most of my childhood until I started climbing at like 14, 15. Gotcha. And so climbing was really sort of what opened you up into the world of movement. Very much so. It was one of the things where I was just not good at all at it initially, and I wanted to get better. So that got me interested in exercise, science, and training inside of mm-hmm. with- slant and then there's were a few injuries here and there over the years and that kind of got me interested in like the rehab side of things because I'm just kind of a weird sport at times and you can kind of get some weird overuse or asymmetrical stuff going on and so I'd go to see people a lot of times and they'd be like yeah Climbing definitely requires like a very unique, like a lot of motion and then a lot of control at those end ranges of motion. So it's, it's a funky one. And, but you've got a degree in exercise sports science, if I remember correctly. Yes. Uh, Health and exercise science. Yeah. Health and exercise science. And so how did you end up like going from this degree in health and exercise science into sort of the body work that you do today, like those things aren't necessarily a linear path, right? Yeah. Um, so after uh, undergrad, I wasn't totally sure what I was going to do. So like most other kind of people in that degree, grad school, I should do grad school. Yep. And I really did not do enough uh, kind of checking in on certain things in the program was like it's a good program and they're gonna pay me to go and sure why not Mm -hmm. and um I made some assumptions on how like general versus how specific things were gonna be and found out kind of quickly that the kind of specialization of research while I like research and like looking at problems and kind of seeing what's going on and taking as much information that me doing the research for a path was not exactly my ideal. I didn't really want to spend five minutes with a person and then five hours with their data. Yeah. You wanted to be with the person. Yeah. So (laughs) um, I started a 
a program in biomechanics. And after the first year, I was like, this is not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So I left and started doing some personal training because, well, that's pretty much the job option that I had after uh, health and exercise science. Yeah. And then kind of through that, uh, for some education stuff and kind of weaving my way through a couple different certifications, got me to the point where one of the courses or series I was taking through Z Health, um, it's kind of a good template for movement, I think. Uh, had a lot of hands-on stuff and North Carolina is kind of a gray area for trainers and being allowed to like touch or work with people in certain ways. Mm-hmm. So I figured getting the massage therapy license was a good option to kind of cover my bases a little bit. And then I kind of expanded the uh, choices for more education, kind of the choose your own adventure style path yeah. of like, I like this. What about yeah. this? Yeah. And so you have that massage therapy license and like the license to touch, but I would say that you, the work that you do is a lot more sort of biomechanical, physiological, and like functional than most massage therapists out there. Right. Like going to get a session with you, isn't going to like, Oh, I'm going to go get some nice, nice and like feel good. It's like, no, this is very technical and focused on movement. Yeah. People don't come to me to relax. It's not a spot. <laughs> And so that sort of brings me to this, my next question of like, how is what you do different from local practitioners in the area? Because I think you are the only PDTR practitioner in North Carolina. Is that correct? Uh, I believe there is another chiropractor who went through the training a while after I did. Mm -hmm. There's a chance he may have already retired. He was a little (laughs) older. Um, And it's kind of been a spread of different people. There's definitely, there's some in Virginia and then, uh, mm-hmm. but for a while I was the only person in, within a couple of states for sure. Yeah. And so for people who are wondering what is PDTR, it stands for proprioceptive deep tendon reflex. And yes. that doesn't necessarily answer what it is either. <laughs> so if you yeah. wanted to explain to like a five-year-old what PDTR is, how would you do it? Um, so the way I kind of think about stuff with PDTR is it's a way of evaluating when your body is kind of overreacting to sensory information. Hmm. And with the idea being that sometimes previous injuries or overuse or habits or just lack of awareness can kind of lead to a rigid strategy for movement and kind of the, the brain body kind of forgets that it has other options. Like one of the biggest things that I do is help individuals realize that they have more choices in their body than what they really had access to initially. Right. And, um, so like the usual little kind of spiel I say normally is like, you know, say you step on attack and your response is it's immediate. Like you, you pull your foot away. You don't have to think like, sure. Uh, what's next? It's, it's reflexive. Mm-hmm. And since part of your brain's job is to kind of protect you, to minimize threat, if it's a big enough deal, the idea is that your body could say, hey, that one time that we had that puncture, it was such a big deal. You know, now anytime I feel pressure, I'm going to make sure that my hip flexors are really tight so they can engage and pull away. Mm-hmm. My glutes 
going to be engaged so I don't have to fight myself. And so you'd end up having something that was a strategy where you stepped on something you had to pull away, but then it kind of got stuck where your body's brain kind of doing this thing of, oh, anytime I feel pressure, I need to be careful. Right. And things like hip always tightening up after a walk or not feeling like your glutes engaging when you're squatting or lunging could be something kind of like a downstream effect of that one time. And so in the same way, like if you put on an itchy sweater and then after a little bit, it's not itchy anymore. Well, it's still itchy, but you're just kind of ignoring that feedback. And so previous accidents, injuries, all that stuff, like I was saying before, can kind of be like all these like little itchy sweaters that at one point you were aware of, but then you kind of pushed into the background. Mm -hmm. And so while you're not consciously really thinking about it, you tend to still impact or influence how you're doing things. Right. And so it's almost like, like your body has a memory and it's holding on to that. Um, is there, and so you sort of named some of the like ways that like the tack example of like this thing is stuck and then it impairs like stuff downstream, but is there a way for you to tell like, oh, is this just like me not recruiting appropriately or is, or is this the like, oh, I have some nervous system piece stuck basically. Like, how do you tell when it's one or the other? So, I mean, sometimes it is just, yeah, something's not working because it's not strong enough. There's just a lack of awareness of someone not realizing, oh, every time you're doing this, you're actually doing this other thing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, like if you are, if you're working on something and even with effort, it's not changing, mm -hmm. that's kind of when I consider things being a little stuck. It's either you're not the right question kind of, or it's just not the appropriate treatment in that situation. Right. And so like, if it's just not working, would it be like, just not working in like a 45 minute, like workout session where I go and like, oh man, my shoulder's really not working. And then I'd be like, oh, that's like a nervous system stuck. Or is it like over four weeks, something doesn't change. So there can kind of be, I kind of think about different uh, levels of inactivity, dysfunction, however you want to put it. Mm -hmm. And this comes a little bit more from another system, neurokinetic therapy, but uh, there's kind of like a neural connection. Like, will if you ask the body to do something kind of standard muscle testing, can you engage your delts if you push up or your lat leg? Is there any sort of feedback? And then if there's that, is there actually strength to it? Not just can you do it, but how well can you do it? Mm. And then a strength, then the next question would be stamina. Not just can you do it, but can you do it for a while? And those will kind of show up at different points for people. Like I'll have some clients come in and you know it's like, no, every single step hurts. I can't do this. Like I feel it here. And you'll have other people who are kind of like, well, after like a five mile run, then things start to fall apart, but I can always do this certain amount of time. And so kind of just listening to what someone can and can't do mm -hmm. and kind of their qualitative answers on things can help a lot with trying to figure out if it's something that's more like a training issue or is it more a treatment issue? Yeah. And so when it comes down to like, you found that someone's got this, this stuckness in their nervous system, their body's really responding and holding on to that motor pattern. 
what do you do? Like, how is that different from other types of rehab or other interventions? Like, what does it actually look like? So one of the big things that uh, PDTR does or kind of focus on is the type of receptors in the body. The, mm-hmm. So, and kind of breaking it down, I think in like two distinct tracks. So you have things like anything that you can sense, perceive, <laughs> there's a receptor for it. Yep. So a contraction, whether it's a quick contraction or a slow contraction, a stretch, whether it's quick or slow, like mm-hmm. changing. Um, and so you kind of have things that more are in the line of like generating force or transmitting. So like muscles, tendons, ligament, fascia, and then you have kind of another side of things where the stuff that drives movement. So like skin sensation, like you feel a bug crawling on you, you like go to hit it. You touch something hot or step on that tack, you pull away. Mm-hmm. You hear something and you turn to see it. And so that's kind of one of the things that PGTR really kind of does well, I think, is looking at all those kind of different aspects of, is it something that's kind of driving motion and that kind of follows one path or is it something that's related to actually performing it, doing it, completing it? Mm -hmm. And so with uh, kind of focusing on the different receptors, like it's doing a type of like stimulation that the brain would perceive as the same type of thing, like a stretch, a contraction, um, uh, impact, that type of stuff to see how the body responds to it. And so the way of doing it is using muscle testing, which inherently has a little bit of gray area, depending on how you talk to it. Either crap or it is the most amazing thing and you know define and whatever all this stuff so Mm -hmm. um I treat it with kind of as a tool it's not an absolute I go for like how things feel body wise symmetrically like side to side tissue above below pliability and stuff like that and so when you're trying to figure that stuff out the issue or the thing kind of with PDTR is for every problem, there's a compensation that happens that or an after effect that's kind of paired together. And so the, the task in PDTR is usually finding the different pairs of first this, then this, and why we can say one happened and then the other, what seems to happen in kind of practical terms is brains like, nope, we have them both together. You can't have one without the other. So like when people kind of get stuck with treatment, because normally what I, when I see people, they've already seen half a dozen or more practitioners for other stuff. Yeah. And so it seems a lot of times people are either focusing in the past of the initial problem, what they did, and here's the evidence-based practice of what we should do to address this, or they focus on the aftermath, but they're not always getting both. And Part of figuring out what that both and what those parts are is, in my mind, always just kind of getting a good history, listening to the person, looking at the person. And I tend not to actually have a health history that people fill out ahead of time. I like to do it in session verbally because so many times people have either had things minimized in the past and they don't tend to bring them up. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And they're like, oh yeah, well, that was like 10 years ago. So it shouldn't be a big deal. I don't need to worry about that now. And when you have a conversation, it's a whole lot easier to kind of Root pick apart. Out. Oh, what 
this or yeah. yeah like I had a client who was coming to me with low back pain and like doing I do the in-person history with them like I think like 80% of what I need to know is there <laughs> and my client was like yeah I mean like I had a hysterectomy it's not a big deal and I was like <laughs> the low back pain <laughs> and where does your where does your uterus lie and so I definitely agree that taking taking history is so key and for our listeners I know that like this is pretty nerdy talking about receptors and pathways and pairing but I think that Kevin touched on something really important of like there is the problem and then there is the compensation and that's really like our bodies are brilliant and they're going to put a band-aid over something to help cope but that's not necessarily the most efficient thing and that's when you're going to be getting sort of like the discomfort or the pain or the like I can't do this thing. And so you got to get going into that, like the pairs of stuff. So like, say for example, you slip on some ice and you pull your hamstring. Yikes. And so now in theory, your hamstring is not going to want to stretch because it had a pull that was a threat to it. It had a bad experience. (laughs) See, initial problem, the, the strain Mm -hmm. and then the compensation in this case is would would likely end up being on the opposite side of the joint so maybe quad maybe hip flexor isn't going there's going to be a a kind of partner that says I don't want to contract because if I contract this side then we're going to have kind of an active stretch And so that might end up being like, yeah, the person's like, I, I cannot touch my toes after this. Mm. Like everything's really tight, like I stiffen up. And so it may not be that they need to have some fascial release or some um, like assisted stretching for the hamstring to like lower down their tolerance. It might be more that they have to also address the over contracted part or the part that doesn't want to contract on the other side yeah. to create that. And that's yeah. kind of one of the things that our does really well is that if this happens, then this happens and making sure that you're kind of getting both sides of it. Yeah. I like to say like treat in 360. Um, like we're, we're three-dimensional, four-dimensional if you count time. Um, so you sort of like want to, want to go all the way around, but One of my friends used to call you a witch doctor because they went to you and they said that you treated them with a tissue paper, a cold pack and a toothpick. And so it sounds funny and it kind of is, but it's also really effective. And so how do you use those tools to sort of convince the hip flexor and the hamstring to to settle back down, right? Yeah, I mean, this is maybe not the best thing to say, but I mean, I am kind of surprised that this stuff works sometimes. (laughs) From the, like, when you're going through the training, it is heavy neurology. Like, there is a rationale and a background for a practical application of a lot of theory and, like, established knowledge base. It is still probably the nerdiest modality I have ever come across, straight up. As far as I can find so far, yeah. (laughs) Um, But it goes back to those types of receptors. So you have, um, when we're talking, like, with the skin, So, um, like, let's talk about the toothpick. So you have very fast reacting nerve fibers for nociception. 
And, and then you also have kind of these slow unmyelinated fibers that are a little bit more delayed mm-hmm. kind of keep you aware of something, but it's like, it's more the follow-up of, Hey, there was that puncture here or something that was like a threat in this one very specific area. And so you have that um, with those kind of two different first this, then this, if you're going to elicit a, like some, use, do some sort of stimuli that the brain perceives as something similar, you need, like, if it's for the skin, like, but the toothpick is gonna be that very fine point, like less than two millimeter. It's not like, poor man's acupuncture, it's not breaking the skin or anything. It's just yeah. little, little tap, enough but for the- like, uh, If someone feet. stepped on a tack, you would probably use the toothpick as the counterpoint, right? Like as a, as a replication? Uh, I mean, high likelihood, usually like scars, if there's been punctures or bad impact, or even sometimes, so you can kind of have, you can have muscular stuff drive skin stuff or surface. You can have kind of the surface stuff drive muscular. You can have them just kind of both overlapping and be related, or they can kind of be doing their own thing. and so like before what I was saying is like for every type of like stimuli you can perceive, like there's gonna be a receptor for it. So you can get kind of like very specific and kind of use some fancy stuff or you can just kind of make it work a little bit. Like there's a difference for how the skin perceives something noxious if it's like a firm pinpoint versus like a soft, like almost like a bug crawling or something or like, it's not quite the same threat, but there's a discomfort. There's kind of that uh, nociceptive withdrawal reflex of like trying to avoid certain things. Yeah. And so um, like if someone had a bad fall on the ice and maybe they got, you know, they couldn't get up for a minute. Yeah. Maybe having to use a cold pack to kind of recreate that uh, awareness, that sensation might be necessary um and so you recreate it but then like sort of you're you're giving the body that stimulus again how do you help it get out of that stuck pattern like what happens next so like we're talking before of like all those itchy sweaters that you might have had on of all the different things so you have all this background noise in your body and so if you had a if you have 20 people in a conversation trying to talk to you at once, it's pretty hard to hear that one person that you might really be trying to like listen to. Absolutely. And so what we're trying to do with PDTR, or what I kind of do is um, kind of raise the signal noise ratio, like find this one pair of things and do the, the proper uh, stimuli to it. So it's a little bit louder than the rest of the background. Yeah. And if you're precise, then you can get pretty like refined and accurate for what you're addressing. Like literally there can be just a half inch centimeter or so like difference in where you do the stem and get no response versus huge response. Yep. And so you're a lot of times looking for kind of a what should be a normal response to certain stimuli, like a mild stretch in 
some of the flexors should facilitate other things. It's kind of like the arm wrestling when first come in and they kind of wrist gets bent back. It's like that stretch will kind of feed upstream to give you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Or um, so there's like ways of kind of recruiting different spots that the body would normally do. Yeah. But whether or not it's a functional response or whether it's a kind of overreaction. And I mean, ultimately what I feel like with PGR is the biggest assumption that the system makes is that if you can kind of raise the signal noise ratio or change signal noise ratio of what's the, the pairs are and kind of say, hey, these two things, not only they're related, but it's actually not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And we set stuff, then the assumption is that the body just reintegrates it and be like, oh, we have this choice again. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, that tracks with some of the like psychotherapy trends too, of like the exposure therapy of like, if you bring together these two things that you associate as bad and you get like a neutral to like normal experience when they're both exposed together, your system's like, oh, I'm not super scared of that anymore. Like that's how they treat phobias. And it kind of sounds like in the body, you just sort of need to normalize again, like, oh, these two things being activated together isn't actually bad. And then the body's like, oh, let me just integrate that. And it's fine. Just like, it's just information now. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't have anything else tied to it. It's not tied necessarily to the situation. It's just tied to this moment in time and trying to kind of get a fresh. Yeah. And so sometimes you'll end up kind of addressing more just nervous system stuff. Other times it's more like manual therapy, soft tissue, sometimes a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Everyone's just a little different, just kind of depends on what's going on. But I mean, the fun stuff with as weird as it can be mm-hmm. is I love a good skeptic. I love when some companies are just like, I don't even know why I'm here. <laughs> That's you know, whatever, I'll just give it a shot. And there is this very kind of confused and almost irritated <laughs> look that when start feeling there, like what you did makes zero sense to me. Yep. But what I've known as my reality of this hurting all the time or not being able to do this is not there. That always cracks wow. me up. I had a patient come in the other day and they were like, I'm so surprised. I'm getting better. <laughs> I was like, did you think I wasn't going to do my job? <laughs> and it's just like with PDTR, I feel like it's even more likely to be skeptical because it is so niche, but you have this awesome ability of to make the changes so quickly in one session too. Um, so It took a long time for me to get comfortable with the system. And, um, and initially my, my biggest problem with it was, it was the first time I'd ever come in contact with a system that initially when you're learning it, even if you go slow, there was the risk to make someone worse. And that kind of worried me a little bit because I'm like, my job is to help. Like, I don't like, you're like, no, thanks. I'm going for it. All it come down to is just the fact that it just had to go through a little bit more of the training to actually kind of figure out how to prioritize stuff. Mm-hmm. But by taking that time back of and waiting to kind of move on because I just assumed I didn't have as good a grasp of it as I should have. Yeah. It helped me really kind of refine 
how it works well for me. Yeah. And so it was a little bit of a step back, but it, it definitely made things a whole lot easier down the road. Yeah. And like prioritizing patient safety like that is is so important. And that's why like I can be a little skeptical with some practitioners in the area because I'm like, are you actually going to slow down and check in to see like, are you, is what you're doing actually best for the patient? And it's one of the reasons that I trust you is that like, I know you've put the work in to really be thoughtful of, am I keeping my clients safe? And am I actually slowing down to pay attention to all of those little things? Um, Yeah. I mean, a a large, like I kind of, I treat what I find as I'm working, but a big portion of what I'm doing throughout a session is giving that person time to get up, move around, check in with their body, like what's talking to you? What are you noticing the most? What's kind of grabbing your attention? I try not to be like, does this still hurt? Yeah. Or how is such and such exactly what they came in for? I try to be a little bit more general on the, what's grabbing your attention? You know, how are things feeling? And because ultimately it is a very individual thing. That's one of the things I really like about it. It's not like a, someone comes in for a shoulder issue and it's like, okay, we're going to do this, 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 and this. Yeah. It's like check everything that might be related in your case. And then we'll determine kind of what the best options are after the fact of when we see something, how it actually. Yeah. And so I think we talked a little bit about this before, but if someone were to be like, okay, is Kevin actually the right person for me to like go see? Cause I have this one weird thing. Like what would be sort of the, like, cause you've mentioned that people usually come to you after they've been to like seven to 10 other practitioners. So like, what are usually the markers of the clients that you usually see? So the, the things that tend to work really well from my side, well, first off, I normally tell people I can, I'll know within a session, one to three sessions tops, if it's something I can help with. Mm -hmm. So something where it's like, I need to see someone, you know, week after week for 10 sessions, then maybe we can figure out if it's okay. Like if I'm asking, if I'm asking the right questions, checking the right stuff, if it's something I can help with, we should know pretty quick. Like I typically at the absolute low end of expectation, go for a 50% increase in range of in range of motion that's pain-free for someone. And I kind of call that a low bar. I normally go for at least a 50% decrease in their the severity of their discomfort. Yeah. In the first session. Yeah. And just like as a testimonial, like I've gone to see Kevin plenty of times and like there was a moment where I like couldn't lift my arm past 90 because I dislocated my shoulder. And then after the session I was able to get my arm fully overhead pain-free. And so if that sounds like woo-woo magic, um, it is woo-woo magic, but it's also super functional and it shows up for real in your life. So there's that. Um, and you mentioned fascia a little bit too, and I always love fascia. So I kind of want to like shift gears a little bit because you sort of mentioned like, okay, we work with this nerve stuff, but you also mentioned fascia. And so how do you integrate fascial release into sort of this paradigm that you have? Because fascial release is a really hot topic right now. Well, so one of the things I think is really interesting with fascia is like from an embryologic standpoint and development, it's like as the fetus is developing endoderm, extraderm, mesoderm, like fascia covers meso and ecto. It's, it's two different tissue. It's two different like starts, which I think kind of makes it kind of an interesting tissue as a bridge for a lot of things. Yeah. 
And then the other thing is just the amount of um, sensory nerve endings in fascia, like of all sorts of different types, whether it's contractile elements, whether it's more just um, as well, oh, I guess that's not really sensory for contractile, but, um, but there's so much uh, kind of expansive differences of things that can influence it. And so normally when I'm working with someone like, and I'm after going through the history and I'm kind of doing some um, manual palpation to see how things feel. And as I'm working and treating, like if something is stuck in a direction or it won't go evenly, mm -hmm. I'll usually see if kind of doing some of the PDDR treatments first start to help it. If that doesn't get any sort of uh, kind of qualitative change in the tissues, it's either a little bit of time or it's, oh, there's multiple layers of things going on here. Yeah. But I tend to try to address more of the, the sensory uh, dysfunction first, because if something's restricted a lot of times or if it's not working as well, it's usually it's for a reason. Whether it's a good reason that's currently going, that's a different thing. But at the time that it started, that what there was a strategy that it decided that body decided to use and that's kind of what we're going for so um most of the time i'm ending up doing more uh fascia release kind of from like a art or the functional range release stuff which are pretty similar um and kind of backing up that type of hands-on tissue change after i try to do more of the, the sensory side of stuff. Yeah. And so it's like the software of the PDTR of like, sort of, this is like the, how your brain is working in the nerves and then the hardware of the actual fascia itself. Yeah. Cause you could have the nervous system saying, Hey, we need to have something restricted here or, or tightened here or relaxed here for a reason. Mm -hmm. Or you could have the muscle, the, the tissue, not the muscle, uh, start to change because of a like, sustained demand, kind of some of uh, Davis's law stuff. And, um, and so it just kind of depends, like if it's nervous system stuff, doing some like active release work and fast stuff is like melting butter. It's really easy. Okay. Um, if it's truly more tissue quality that has changed, it's a little more tricky, but still, I mean, it's a little more heavy handed, Yeah, <laughs> but most of the time I try amount of force possible because I always feel like you can go back and do more but it's kind of hard to come back and do less absolutely and I think something that comes up for a lot of my clients when working with fascia is that they're like why aren't you pushing so hard or like why are we hanging out like why are we moving so slowly um I'm just sort of yeah. speaking like because fascia is cornstarch right I always describe it as cornstarch of like you hit it with a lot of force it responds with a lot of force and like if you approach it more gently it it responds more gently I mean a lot of times I I'll have a lot of people who come in and be like well it's okay I have a high pain tolerance or you can use a lot more pressure and it's like okay that's <laughs> nice I mean you, I kind of go with the mentality that you can either coax something to relax or you can force it to submit mm -hmm. and most of the time forcing is not the best option <laughs> yeah. I mean I do think that there's also like the psychological layer there like some of my clients really like 
because of their belief system, like they don't believe in it until like I give them the force, like I have to meet their level of intensity. And then once I've sort of gotten them there, then I can like bring them back down to that softer level of work. Um, and, but I do agree that like, start, start softer. Um, it doesn't end also this psychology that like healing has to hurt. And I don't think that that's always true. <laughs> I mean, in general, I find if it's an acute issue, I tend to be a lot lighter overall. Mm -hmm. And if it's a crime, I tend to be a little more heavy handed. Yeah. But that's mm -hmm. of like, okay, this built up over months or years. I got an hour. Okay, let's see what <laughs> we can kind of push back. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, and I tend to like do as much work as possible to make my life easier. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to fight someone's body. I joke a little bit that like part of my job is having slightly more stubborn nervous system than whoever I'm working on mm. but it's really not a it's not like me versus them it's like hey I got this idea let's go over this way instead doesn't that sound like fun like you know <laughs> get a toddler to like follow you around a little bit yeah. look at this this is great yeah. <laughs> and like that's true nervous system matching is a really important thing like I think both both in psychotherapy as well as more embodied therapy because there is such such a strong connection there um and so I love this idea of like being a little softer or like if you're doing your own releases at home and you're so used to using a PVC or like a lacrosse ball and really going in there to make it hurt I'd invite you to actually play with like what's it like to use a softer foam roller or what's it like to use a tennis ball instead and be like how does your tissue change and respond to that softer force um so. yeah I mean a lot of times I'll kind of think if like someone's using a foam roller of like what they're trying to get on top of like as they're rolling across the tissue it's like you're going up a mountain at the and the peak is like the most tender area and they're like people want to hang out on there it's like I feel this the most it's like Actually, if you kind of back down just a little bit and kind of work your way, usually instead of the, the head-on approach, it yeah. doesn't fall. And like, I used to be the head-on approach person, not going to lie. Like, I loved to like crank on my PVC foam roller and was like, yeah, I got this. But these days I'm like, oh, like, let me actually like, how can I sort of slowly ramp up to get that tissue change? And even with foam rolling these days, I feel like more that feels more and more like muscular work for me and less and less like fascial work of like, I can use the roller to pin some things, but I feel like I'm, I'm sort of treating the like muscle piece rather than the fascial piece with it. I mean, you're adding motion or other sorts of activation or combinations of things while you're doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in general, I view foam rolling as either a way to get a little window of opportunity not necessarily as a fix like it's a tool yeah. like and how you use a tool matters for what results you're getting. and i think there's a big difference between rolling for recovery after like a workout or something yeah. versus rolling for like more restoration pain relief mobility like i think how you address things matters with that and it's not a one size or one approach fits all it's like okay if you're going to do this you also need to do it this way as well like if 
until you give your body a reason to change, not just give it a, a situation like, okay, I'm going to roll this and try to soften it up or make it feel less tender. We'll just say yeah. instead. <laughs> but it's like, if you're going to do that, you have to back it up with something. Otherwise it kind of goes with why people keep foam rolling for years. You only treat symptoms, right? And this sort of matches like a little bit of what we were talking about earlier of the pairs of things, right? Like you've got pain in that tissue and that's sort of the symptom or the band-aid, but where's the pair of its cause? And are you sort of working with the cause as well? Yeah, is one side, like if you think of like guy wires on a telephone pole, like you need support on both sides. And if one side is doing all the, everything, something wants to tip it's not stable so it's like do you need to after rolling engage the opposite muscle do you just need to engage the same thing in a different range of motion yeah do you need to put some to it do you need to load it into an integrated exercise of some sort it all kind of depends on what you're trying to push yeah and so i think like maybe a strategy for people to use and like a, a more simple if you're like okay like how does this apply to me like all right, if you've got tight quads and you roll out your quads every day, like then maybe pair it with some sort of hamstring loading, right? Or pair it actually with quad loading. So roll out those quads and then maybe sort of do like a single leg raise to really get them engaged through a full range of motion um, or do a deadlift and you can sort of trial and error like, oh, which of these actually makes my, my quad feel better over a long term? Yeah, and because fibers will kind of be recruited depending on where they are in a range of motion, typically, mm -hmm. it would kind of depend on what you're going to do. Yeah, so it's like you may want to like kind of whether it's going to be roll quad and then yeah, engage hamstring. So you're actively strengthening the hamstring to lengthen the quad that you just kind of rolled out mm -hmm. or is part of the kind of lower rep fem helping the upper part of rec fan or something along those lines where it's trying to recruit like as you continue to kind of close the joint angle the more distal fibers should be engaged a little bit more versus when it's more open then it should be more proximal fibers typically and so you can kind of pick and choose depending on what's going on but usually when it comes to foam rolling for uh, clients the general rules i say are don't start where you feel it the most. Start above it, below it, or opposite side. Nice. And if you're there that you're like, oh, good God, I didn't know that was even there. Odds are you'll do better addressing that spot first and then going to the problem area mm -hmm. rather than just focus on where I feel like this is the spot. Well, mm -hmm. it's not changing. You're not really doing anything. You're just taking some time to experience some intense sensation. Cool. Yeah. And I think that like, I love that I see people foam rolling. It's just always like, like you said, it's a tool and I want to make sure that people are using it most efficiently. And I like to, I like that sort of there's the before and after strategy. And then also if you want to get the more fascial piece, think about incorporating those active movements. And if you're one of my clients and you're listening, you absolutely know that that's you because all of my clients who sort of use that trigger point release, I have them go through active movement because yeah, let's work muscle and then let's work surrounding fascia too. Yeah, I, I call them the shuns. Like after 
<laughs> gonna roll after you roll it. Gonna do a little bit of like translation, a little rotation, a little combination, mm. a little elongation, and a little oh, activation. I get it. And so you kind of work your way through <laughs> all That's that. Great. That's great. Okay, and so. I know that that was a pretty nerdy podcast, y'all, but I think that one, PDTR is pretty nerdy, fascia is pretty nerdy, and movement and recovery is pretty nerdy. And so sort of, I think we just sort of summarized the big takeaways when it comes to the foam rolling piece. And then we also sort of talked through the PDTR of like pairing things and sort of how that can get stuck in our nervous system. And so if people are curious of like, wow, that sounds like me or like, oh, cool. Like I want to try out this awesome nerdy modality. Kevin, where can they find you? Uh, so the website is kineticpotentialmovement.com or there's also the very short, but probably hard to remember in some ways, kinpomo.com. <laughs> I feel like all of that out. Um, and there is ability to schedule online. People are also welcome to email or call and inquire if they want to kind of talk a little bit about mm-hmm. how are if it might be a good fit. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, you'll definitely find all of that in our show notes. So if you're like, I don't think I can remember all of that, just go on to the show notes for the episode and you should see it right in there. Yeah. Excellent. And Kevin is located in Durham right across the street from us. So if you can find us, it's going to be pretty easy for you to find Kevin. All right. (laughs) All righty. Well, thank you so much. See ya. Thank you all so much for listening to the Functional Physio Podcast. We hope that you found it helpful. For each podcast, we'll include show notes. So if you're curious about a reference of what we mentioned, feel free to refer to the literature and references there. We hope this episode helped you think about the way you move and how your body is your ally as you navigate this life. Any thoughts about our podcast? Shoot me an email at jj.functionalphysiopt.com or follow us on Instagram. If you're curious about working with us or who we are, check us out at functionalphysiopt.com. Thanks so much.